afternoon, Centerway. It is great to be here. May I be the first one to say Merry Christmas. So excited that you're here in the snowy, blustery afternoon. <laughs> uh, my name is Eric. I just really I'm grateful that you're here. You brave the elements and all the other things that could have been excuses uh, for you not to come today or to, to be visiting us online. Uh, grateful that you're here. In particular, if you are a guest here today, we've been praying for you and excited uh, to be connecting with you. It really is good to be together in community. What I'm going to do is just kind of talk through the events of our gathering today so there's no surprise prizes for you. Um, for those of you that are online, a few of these things may not apply directly the way that I'm speaking about them, uh, but many of them can, and I'll mention the things that can happen both here and on the website for you to check out. Uh, we would love for you to share information with us, whether you're a guest or you've been here for a long time. If you need to update your information uh, or to give your information for the first time, both of those things can happen uh, the same way. You can either do that uh, through uh, an info card or electronically uh, on the version app. Do we have yeah, the information for the, the instructions for that are up on the screen right now. Uh, and it's great. It's easy to navigate. And it's also really useful as we go through our gathering time uh, to follow along, take notes, and even give online through that app as well. Uh, there are other ways to give, uh, including going to the Give tab of our website or via the offering box in the back. Now, if you have questions, if you have feedback for us, if you have any ideas of ways that we can improve or continue to serve in, in unique ways, uh, please let us know. Uh, you can connect with us through our email, connect at centerwaychurch.com. Uh, but that's not the only way you can connect with us. You can engage with us throughout the week uh, by checking out the wallpapers that we have for your devices, Spotify playlists, social media. Uh, there's Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that come right to your inbox. And on Mondays in this series in particular, we've got video uh, devotionals that have been really cool to connect with and produce. Uh, so be sure to check those things out. And also be sure to visit the messages page of the website to access all of these resources. Uh, you can go to the next steps page if you're looking for ways to grow, to serve, uh, to be spiritually coached, to get water baptized, become a centerway steward even. Uh, the way that you can do that is by checking out the next steps, either online, like we said on the website, uh, or at our next steps booth in the lobby after our gathering. There are two quick things to note in particular about our the upcoming uh, weeks in the life of our church. First of all, our students will be having a volleyball night on April 9th to kind of kick off uh, vacation time and all that good stuff. Details are on the website for that. And also, three weeks from today, if you can believe it, is Easter Sunday. Uh, we are excited about that. It's the reason why we gather, because the grave is empty and Jesus is alive. And so in anticipation of that, we're asking you to uh, prayerfully consider who it would be uh, that you could reach out to, uh, someone that you might want to invite to our gathering. I know that uh, for, in particular, uh, this part of Rochester, uh, Easter might not be in the rhythm of their lives coming to church on an Easter. Uh, and so it'd be a unique time to invite somebody, someone that God is laying on your heart to just make sure you, you're not just saying, hey, will you come out with me? But just kind of be involved in their life and see uh, what it is that you can do to serve them and to just kind of be involved in their life as well. 
Um, so that is coming up three weeks from today. Be considering, be considering what we will be doing for that. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of our gathering. Becca is going to come and read the scripture. Claude's going to be communicating from the Bible, and then we will respond to the word uh, through singing. Can we take a moment to pray, just believe God for what he wants to do in this place and in us in particular? Heavenly Father, we come before you this afternoon so grateful, Lord, that uh, you would uh, draw us to this place where you promised to connect with us. We thank you, Lord, that your word is clear, that your presence is with those that are gathered in your name. And so today, God, we pray that whatever it is that we've walked into this place needing from you today, uh, that we would have our eyes opened and our ears open to sense what it is that you're doing in our lives. Lord, be glorified. In everything that we say, everything that we do, uh, may your church in Centerway uh, today uh, just lift up the name of Jesus in fresh and new ways. Lord God, prepare us for what you want to do in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, everyone. My name is Becca, and I'll be reading the scripture today. And we're going to be reading Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Becca. Great job. Well, good morning, everybody. Good afternoon, everybody. I'll stop doing that someday. Uh, just in time for us to be doing morning services or something and then be <laughs> confusing the opposite way. Uh, we're continuing uh, in our series, Walk With Me. And uh, today, specifically, uh, the message or talk is entitled Praising. So Walk With Me, Praising. And uh, we are uh, wrapping up chapter three, as already has been mentioned. And uh, I'm going to start off by sharing a story. And um, <clears throat> it's kind of funny, uh, I was uh, around Christmas time. We were in Pennsylvania and uh, visiting uh, Meredith's side of the family, and we were uh, able to. I was able to meet up with one of my uh, college apartment mates, and he pastors a church in Virginia right now. And so um, we met up, and we actually reflected a little bit on the story I'm going to share with you. And I told him I was like, I'm going to find some time to share that story to everybody because it's so disturbing. And uh, and he said, Oh yeah, well let me know when he does. So. He's probably watching, and uh, hi, Jamie, you're a disgusting person, as everyone's going to find out. So, uh, basically, uh, we had one of those moments, and I think it resonates with all of us as human beings. Have you ever had kind, kind of like a craving for something, but you don't know what? You're like, I want something. I just, I want something, but I don't know what. And you're just kind of looking into the refrigerator. You're looking into cupboards and you're like, oh, that's not it. That's not it. And uh, it was even worse when we were in college. And at that point, it was like we were doing so many things and we were so active that we could literally just eat anything and it would just burn off as energy. And, um, and so one of my apartment mates, uh, Jamie, he was just in that one of those moods where he's like, I don't know what I want, but I know I want something. And so his resolution was to just try to consume everything. And so he was literally just eating absolutely everything. We went to the dining hall that night and he came out with a huge plate of food, crushed it all. He's like, that's not it. We're like, well, you're going to die. And uh, so he just continued eating, went back to the apartment. He's looking through the refrigerator. He's trying stuff. He's like, oh no, that's not it. He's like, you know what it is? I think it's dairy. And so he ate some cheese and, uh, and he's like, yeah, I definitely, I want some dairy. Like, 
whatever, dude, that is so gross, but okay. And um, so I had a night class. I went to a night class and he was complaining about wanting dairy. And uh, I came back from the night class. It was a Monday night. Monday night football was on TV. We sat down, we had our couches set up like stadium seating, like we had them propped up on things, so they were, they were couches all the way up to the ceiling, it was kind of cool, and we had several TVs out in the living room, they were tubed TVs, it was crazy. <laughs> anyway, um, so we were out there, we're getting ready for Monday Night Football, and Jamie comes in, and uh, he's like, did it start yet? We're like, no, it's, it's just now starting. He's like, all right, good, I just had to run to Wawa, which is like kind of like a gas station, you know, uh, kind of like a small mini mart type thing near us. And so he comes in and he's like, I just, I just needed some dairy. You know what I mean? We're like, yeah, whatever. So as we're watching this game, all of a sudden we just hear like, which some of you guys hate that, huh? Look at my wife's going to lose it right now. Anyway, so we hear disgusting chewing and look over and Jamie has purchased a block of cheese. That was about like three inches by three inches square and about a foot long. He has this thing peeled open and he is a quarter of the way through it and he's just biting this block of cheese. I'm like, you are disgusting. What are you doing? He's like, I just want dairy. We're like, dude, that's not natural. He's like, I don't see what the problem is. Bends over, picks up. He has a gallon of whole milk. Glug, 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 glug. Like, you're going to die, man. That's not okay. He's like, I don't know. I just want dairy. (laughs) One of my friends, Chris, he's like, dude, the answer to what you want is not once you find it to just have as much of it as you can. You're going to die. I'm confident he paid for it later. Maybe a message for another day. Question that I want to ask as we get into the text today is this. Why does it sometimes feel like we can never have enough? Why does it sometimes feel like we can never have enough, like we will never have enough? I want to explain a little before I attempt to answer this question. Um, By default, most of our minds go to money, possessions, or cheese, um, newly, when we hear this question. But um, I want to challenge you to, to think a little bit broader. A little bit broader than just money and finances. Sometimes we feel like we'll never have enough, for sure money, possessions, that type of stuff. But for others, some of us in this room, that will never have enough security. That will never have enough peace. That no matter how hard we try, we'll never have enough joy. We'll never have enough friends. Maybe you feel like you'll never have enough safety. How about this one? I feel like you're never gonna have enough rest. Oh man, that one resonates, right? That you're never gonna have enough vacation days, enough PTO, They'll never have enough time with friends, enough family. You you know how it is. The list goes on. And if you feel like "Eh, none of those really resonated, we can all come under this umbrella that we feel like we'll never have enough time in the day. Enough time in the day. Like I said, I could go on and on, but you get my point. As humans, sometimes we feel like we will never have enough. But why? Why? It's because we're searching for something. We're searching for something, and I want to submit to you that what we desire more of actually reveals the affections of our heart. I know that that's not super profound. Obviously, you're pursuing something, you're desiring something, it's revealing the affections of your heart. But we can never have enough because we were created to find fulfillment and satisfaction in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord alone. But we're pursuing lesser things, 
things that have never and will never deliver on what it is we're looking for. Listen, the issue isn't our unending appetite. It's not our unending appetite for things, for money, for possessions, whatever it is. That's not the issue. The issue is lordship. It's lordship. It's about who or what has supreme power or rule in your life. We don't like that. We don't like it because we like to think that we're in charge of our own lives. Like, listen, I'm free. I mean, I'm in charge of my own life. I don't have anything that's a supreme power or rule in my life. But these two verses that conclude chapter three are actually about lordship. These verses are a fitting conclusion to the prayer that Paul has prayed over the Ephesians as well as us as readers. And this is what's called a doxology. A doxology. A doxology is a big word that simply means it's a formula of praise to God. So the chapter three is being wrapped up in a formula of praise to God. If we reread verse 20, it says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now, remember context here. The creation or the formation and unity of the church has just taken place. Paul is talking about the the formation and the unity of the church as he heads into the conclusion of chapter three. He actually says no human or angelic being, if you remember from previous weeks, could imagine a world where Jews and Gentiles functioned as one body. Listen, God is able to do far more than we can ask or think. That's what Paul is talking about. See, had not even entered into the minds of people that Jews and Gentiles could get together, that this idea of church could even exist. It hadn't even entered into their thought process. He can do far more than we ask or even think. See, well, well-meaning people, a lot of people actually, have kind of perverted this text into a promise, into a promise that's a proof text for us to get what we want. Like, listen, you want something? God, God can do far more than you can ask or imagine. He's the leprechaun of the heavenlies. Like, you just, you wish it, and oh my goodness, God is going to give you more than you ever asked or imagined. But that's not what it is. In reality, this is a doxology. What Paul is actually saying is that God is so good and so powerful that he does things beyond what we can ask or think. That the church... And its unity is one of many examples of why God is worthy to be praised. No one could have asked or thought of this beautiful, powerful thing called the church. Now, why? Why would we turn a verse intended to evoke praise into something that indicates or in some way promises that we can get whatever we want? (laughs) Why do you think? It's pretty easy. It's because sometimes we feel like we'll never have enough, right? We're busy praising and chasing and worshiping lesser things. And so it only stands to reason that we would put scripture into the context of our life and what it is that we want. And so we pervert things. And as humans, I want to tell you, we all struggle with this. We all struggle with it. As I mentioned earlier in the first story, I I had uh, I lived in an apartment as a college student, 
and I had six apartment mates, seven in total, including myself. And in college, it's a new experience for me. I grew up with two sisters, and so I had my own room growing up. I never had to share my bedroom. And so for the first time in my life, all of a sudden, I'm sharing things. And uh, some people super messy. I'm not a very messy person. And so I was like, wow, you guys live like slobs. This is disgusting. This joker's chewing on a cheese, cheese block while you're laying your dirty laundry all over the place. What is wrong with you all? As much as we shared things in college, there was still a level of privacy. Like I did my own laundry. Nobody was ever like rifling through my clothes. I would sleep alone. I had my own bed. There were parts of my life that were still private. I had my own dresser. You get the point. As much as my life was kind of laid bare by apartment mates, I still had my privacy. Then, my senior year of college, I got married. I got married in between semesters of my senior year of college, and my entire life was suddenly on display. Like, no more privacy. And in the most wonderful of ways, but no privacy. All of a sudden, even my laundry is not my own. It's like, oh, wow, so... There's my clothes right there for everybody to see. And all of a sudden, I'm sharing a dresser, and the closet is not even my own. And all of a sudden, everything that used to be private and the areas of my life that I could kind of hide or shield are very much exposed and extremely open. My wife has access to absolutely everything. In fact, she even slept with me. It was crazy. We would sleep in the same bed. We still do. She likes it. Anyway, there's kids in the room, so behave yourselves. The point is this. I remember one moment. We were married about a week, and uh, I was not used to having anybody in my room, let alone in my bed. And so I wake up to Meredith going, Claude, 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 don't, 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 don't. And I'm like, what what in the world? If you've ever woken up from something, it's kind of like jarring. And I realize I have my hand on my lovely bride's face, pushing her into the bed, and my fist is raised up. And I'm like, what is going on? What did you do to deserve this? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. That is not all right. The point is this. I was dreaming. And I was a very deep sleeper, and I would sleepwalk a lot. And so based on the recount of my wife, what had taken place is she was woken up by me pressing down on her face, screaming, who are you? Who are you? What are you doing in my bed? And I pulled my fist back, and she's like, Claude, Claude, it's me, it's me. And I woke up. Thank God. Oh, thank God. I can't imagine. I would have been so devastated if I would have struck her. The point is this. I was trying to get used to somebody having access to every part of my life. I wasn't used to it. It was disrupting even my sleep. Listen, we like to think of following Jesus as an apartment mate, simply giving him a piece or a part of our life, the part that we're willing to show, the part that we need help with, right? Like, oh God, you know, I've really been working on this, so maybe you can take this thing. But just remember, only talk to me about that thing. Like, God, you can't go through my drawers. Don't reorganize my closet. Don't go through the areas of my life that are private, that I'm still trying to control, that are my own. God, stay where I want you. You can deal with this situation, but don't touch my finances. God, don't deal with my relationships, just this problem I have. We want to set up boundaries. We want to treat God as an apartment mate. Maybe we have an addiction 
or a difficulty that we finally realize is too big for us to conquer. And so we say, listen, God, you can have access to this part of my life. But a true relationship, a true intimate relationship with God means access to your whole life, to your whole life, to the entirety of your life. You see, in Christendom, we like to categorize our life into sections. Like, here's work, and here's family, and we keep those separate because we want to honor our family time, and we want to honor our work time, and we, we like to kind of chunk up our life like a pie chart, and then there's this sliver that's like the God part, the church part. And so, you know, that's the God part, but we don't let the God part interfere with our work life or with our family, when in reality, God doesn't work that way. God doesn't want to be a sliver of your life. He wants to be the center of your life. So that a life following Jesus informs how you are at work. That it informs how you are as a, as a parent, as a daughter, as a son, as a spouse. That it actually informs every area of your life. God wants access to every part of your life. It's disruptive in the very best way. If it's anything less, then we don't think we need God. We think very small of God. It's amazing how we can come to church and declare that God is large, but try to push him into a box and say, but you only function in this little quadrant here, God. Don't come out of it. If God is only needed in our trouble areas, then in America, especially in suburbia, then we think we don't need God because we don't really need anything. Everyone in this room is part of the wealthiest piece of the world. You all woke up this morning with a roof over your head. Every single one of you have heat in the place that you live. You have clothes on your back. You ate a meal at some point today. You're the wealthiest people in the world. And so if you categorize God as need-based, then you'll never really understand who he is. Actually, you know what we do think we need? More. Because we can never have enough, right? So we buy into a false gospel, a false gospel of prosperity, that God only exists to, to accentuate and make our lives better. God doesn't challenge us. He doesn't make things hard. No, no, no. God just, he makes things better. He fills our pockets with more money. He gives us more blessings, more prosperity. But that's not anything that God promises, and it's really small. In fact, it's not compelling to the people around you. And if you're trying to do evangelism with the idea of this God that comes along and, and does self-help situations in your life, then you're going to have real hard time talking about the truth of the gospel to your friends and family. Because it's not about that at all. Here's the deal. Prosperity never, never ultimately delivers. More of what it is that you think you want, it never delivers. You're always left wanting and you're always pursuing something that you'll never find. Don't believe me, just keep looking. You'll get older and you'll realize you're still chasing. But our problems, they're not slivers or sections of our lives. The problem is lordship of our whole lives. For all of us, for every single person in this room, the problem is lordship people with a lot or people with a little? Humanity. At Centerway, we just finished a journey through the gospel of Mark. And we saw that Jesus was continually, 
At every turn, he was continually talking about the kingdom of God. At every turn, Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus always talked about the kingdom of God, but Christians rarely do? Why is that? I think it's because humanity is distracted, even obsessed with creating our own kingdom. We don't want to talk about the kingdom of God because we're too busy trying to establish our own kingdom. We're trying to make sure that we retire in time so that our kingdom is established, that we have all the things that we need for our loyal subjects, our family. We're too busy trying to establish, create our own kingdom. Listen, you know what every kingdom has? Since the beginning of time, every kingdom has a king. Every single one has a king. So who or what sits on the throne of your life? And I know the temptation. The temptation is to be like, mm, that's good. God sits on my throne. Boom, I got it right. I'm so awesome. You know what? I'm going to write that in my, in my notes. God's on my throne. <laughs> but is he? Is he really? Is he really disruptively on the throne of your life? Consider lordship. Consider lordship for a second. God wants access to every area of your life. If it's all about his kingdom come and his will be done, then every decision must be informed by the gospel. Do you make decisions by laying down the truth of the gospel and say, this isn't about what I want. This isn't about the establishment of my kingdom, imposing my will. This is about his kingdom come and his will be done. Maybe his will is hard, right? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes it's the more difficult road. Like, yeah, I'm not so sure. God wouldn't ask me to do something hard. <laughs> really? Paul's writing this in a prison, just to remind you. Is every decision informed by the gospel? It means that gospel-centered influencers in every sphere of life bring, get this, they bring the kingdom of God, his lordship, they bring the kingdom of God to work. That they bring the kingdom of God to school. They bring the kingdom of God into every relationship, every interaction, every decision. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, what do you want in this? With my one and only life, eternity on the line, because life is short and eternity is long. Like it or not, we all have a king we serve. The question is not if. It's which king are you serving? Which king are you serving? What's even more tragic about this is scripture talks about how there's powers of the air and principalities. That there's actually names of strongholds. That literally you can serve the king of mammon, which is actually prosperity. That you can lean into the holy dollar and that that is actually a power and a principality. That is a demonic force that you can serve. You can literally place money as the king of your life. We could go through a lot of different realities, but the truth is we were created for the kingdom of God. We were created for the kingdom of God and sin fractured that. And instead of submitting to God's lordship, we attempt to be the Lord of our own lives. We say embarrassing things like this. I'm free. I'm in charge. I make my own decisions. Here's a well-kept secret. 
That's an illusion. It's an illusion. We aren't kings. We serve a master. We serve a master. Don't believe me? Consider how you spend your time. Consider how you spend your talent, how it is that you're wired and what you leverage that towards. Consider for a second how it is that you spend your treasure. Where do you put your time, your talent, and your treasure? That will reveal your master. Is your master comfort? Is your master an addiction? Is it your job? Is your master your kids? Your hobby? Is it other people's perceptions? Is it pride? You name it. They're good things. Some of those things I mentioned are good things. Some of them are obviously bad. But some are good things like, wait, we need a job? Like, it's not bad to have kids, right? Yeah, these are good things that make poor masters. They make poor masters. And yet we live as if we are serving them. Hear this. Sin doesn't put us on the throne of our lives. It makes us slaves. Sin does not put us on the throne of our lives. It makes us slaves. Jesus came to set the captives free. He died the death that sin required and rose again. He conquered sin and death so that instead of being slaves, we could be children of the king. You see, following Jesus is about daily denying yourself. It's about declaring him the Lord of all. It's about waking up in the morning and putting your feet on the ground and saying, okay, I have a million worries. I have all these things to do, all these masters demanding that I serve them. God, I start my day surrendering to you. Would you help me to make decisions that honor you? I lay my life before you. The very breath in my lungs is not my own. The fact that you walk this earth is an act of grace of God upon you. And so, Lord, would you shape my, my thoughts, the words that I speak, that they would be honoring to you. God, I'm laying my, my time, my entire day, it's at your feet and your disposal. Disrupt me. Lord, I'm laying my, my talent that by the way you have divinely given me and according to your word, your spirit empowers. So even the talents I proclaim to have are not my own. So I lay them back at your feet and God, my treasure and all that I have, I'm simply a steward. It's all yours. So God, do with it what you want. Disrupt me. Lead me. Make today a divine appointment. Are you wasting your one and only life serving masters that are just turning you into a slave? Or are you starting every morning with a declaration of saying, I want to be a gospel-centered influencer in every sphere of my life? You see, because only then do you go to work, do you go to school, and every relationship as an influencer bringing the kingdom of God, bringing Christ into this. Evangelism is not something you conjure up to kind of trick people into attending a service. It's about the presence of God being evident in your life and invading the dark areas of this world that desperately need it. Verse 21 goes on and says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. This is, this is about praise. 
Paul is saying to him be glory. To him be glory. It's a lordship issue that's resolved by praise. What are you praising? Are you declaring, God, you are my king? You are the only one worthy of my praise and worship. And so I will be your servant, not as a slave, but as a bondservant who's a child of the living God, co-heir to the throne with you. Do you understand? It's, it's something that's beautifully woven all throughout Scripture where there's this tension that the enemy of hell wants to, to push us into slavery to sin. And we lean into it thinking we're moving ahead in life. But we're falling for a lie. And all the while, God is saying, no. I've called you to be a child, children of the king. God deserves the glory. He deserves my time, my talent, and my treasure. All of my life is his. And so we wrap up today in chapter three, the same way that we wrap up every week. The text requires something of us. And some people would look at a doxology and say, what could it possibly require? But I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> the question I want to ask you to consider as we go into a time of worship in a moment is this, how can I praise God this week? How can I praise God this week? How is it that I can lean into praising him above all else? I want you to take a moment and, and bow your heads if you would. You can close your eyes if you like. The worship team's gonna make their way forward so we can respond in worship. But I wanna walk you through some considerations of what this application could look like. If you're here today, maybe how you can praise God this week is to surrender your life to stop the smoke and mirrors of the idea that in some way you are the king of your own life. Surrender in the, the throne of your own life and say, God, you're the, only, you're the only one worthy of my worship and praise. And so today, if that's you, it just begins with a simple prayer. It doesn't have to be these words, but something that acknowledges, God, I am a sinner. I prioritize lesser things. Father, you died for my sin. I pray that you'd forgive me, that you would come and be the Lord and leader of my life. Allow him to transform every area and aspect of your life. If that's you today, I'd love to have a conversation with you. At the conclusion of our gathering, I believe Eric will be at the next steps area. He could talk to you about your next steps or you could come and speak to me if you're watching or listening later, you could always reach out to us. You could reach out to us by email or um, through our website. We'd love to talk to you about the next steps. For others of us in this place that may be watching or listening later, you've crossed that line of salvation. You've already surrendered your life to him. What does it look like to praise God this week? Maybe it looks like you investigating how it is that you spend your time, your talent, and your treasure. Maybe it means sitting down with your spouse or your parents, sitting down with a friend and saying, listen, I want to reprioritize my life. What does it look like to redirect the way we spend our lives before the Lord? For others of us that maybe have that already figured out in the rhythm of our lives, maybe it means starting every morning as I articulated, when you put your feet on the ground, just declaring him the, the Lord and leader of every area and aspect 
of your day. Maybe it means starting every day with praise. In fact, I want to challenge you to do that if you don't. I want to challenge you to do that for a week. If you don't do that already, that you'd start every day and see the fruit of a life lived on mission. See the fruit and the joy that comes when you start every day reorienting and reprioritizing the affections of your heart. I want to challenge you to do that if you don't. If you do do that, then I want to encourage you. Maybe it looks like literally worshiping the Lord in song as you get prepared in the morning, putting on a worship song, focusing and beginning your day in worship and praise. Maybe you're in here or watching online and you say, listen, I've, I've done and do all of those things. And that's awesome if you do. There's still an application. We never outpace the text. In fact, if you think, you know what, this is a good reminder for everybody else then you're actually positioning yourself in some pharisaical place to say the scripture doesn't apply to you. And of course, that's not true. So to you, maybe it looks like missional, a missional application to say, I'm gonna bring the kingdom of God to my workplace. I'm gonna bring the kingdom of God to my school, to my sporting teams, to every relationship, to every friendship, not in some creepy way, but in a way where when I walk into the room, it's obvious that I'm different that the affection of my heart, it's, it doesn't even line up with the things they're worried and concerned about. How can I praise God this week? I'm gonna lead us in prayer as we consider that application and then go into some praise and worship of the only one worthy of our praise. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we openly admit and acknowledge that we serve lesser things. That every day something's pulling for our attention. A new master is presenting itself, trying to make us a slave. Lord, sometimes we unknowingly move towards that, but more often than not, we quickly run towards it because it awakens our flesh. So Father, I pray that as we realign the affections of our heart, that you would inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, that as we set aside time to engage you, Lord, that you would meet the people of Centerway in deep and dynamic ways. That you would provide opportunity and divine appointments that cannot be excused or dismissed. It's an act of your spirit. Lord, we want to be on mission. We want our one and only lives to matter for something in eternity. And so we praise you and we worship you because you're worthy, because you're the only person worthy of our praise and worship. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Just stay with us. <clears throat> Who else would rocks cry out to Glory taught the stars to shine. Perhaps creation longs to have the words to sing. But this joy is mine. With a thousand hallelujahs, we
Lord, we stand in awe of you. Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for the air in our lungs. Lord, we're grateful for who you are, for that which you have done, and that we have an opportunity to partner with you in a redemptive work that you are doing in this and surrounding communities. And so we simply declare ourselves available. We lean in to whatever it is that you would have us to do or to be about. We set aside the agendas that we have, the worries and the concerns of this world, and we ask, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would be the king of our lives, the Lord of our lives. We surrender to you today. And as we leave this place, I pray, God, that we would be mindful of the mission that you're putting us on. That we would look at every moment and every interaction as a divine appointment set forth by the sovereignty of a loving God doing an eternal work in and through us. And we stand in awe of you. We're grateful. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go. You can feel free to stay. If you want prayer for anything, I'm available up here. If you have questions about next steps, you can come to me, or of course you can go to Eric, who's now out in the lobby there. And uh, otherwise, we will see you next week. Um, And uh, excited to see you. Be safe until then. God bless you as you go.